Can you believe we have finally reached the end of this crazy year? That's right. Happy New Year's Eve, everyone. Happy New Year's. Didn't think I'd make it. I, yeah, I didn't think I'd make it. it. <laughs> well, when you look back at the year that was 2020, who are the people that you will remember? Well, with your help, we've compiled a list of Taiwan's People of the Year. In today's show, we'll be introducing the top 10, and by the end of it, we'll also unveil our own personal picks. I'm Leslie Liao. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's get straight to it. Taiwan's People of the Year for 2020. In April, Taiwan became the only place in the world to launch a 2020 baseball season amid the global pandemic. So we chose Taiwan's baseball league, the CPBL, and its fans for our list of People of the Year. Now that guy in the picture there is Rookie of the Year, Ling Anke, the home run king. He helped the uni president Lions win the Taiwan series for this year. But it was the creativity of the CPBL's fans that really took our hearts. Here's an idea that they had early on in the season when fans weren't allowed in the stands. Taiwan is one of the only countries in the world to give the go-ahead to professional baseball. Social distancing rules mean no fans will be allowed into the stadium to watch the game. But the Rakuten monkeys have come up with a creative way to fill the stands all the same. The monkeys have teamed up with a robotics company, getting the company to make robotic mannequins dressed up like fans. Come game day, the team will have 500 robots cheering them on. Two octogenarians got global attention this year. This delightful duo are our trendsetters of the year, the owners of Wanshou Laundry. But to be fair, Zhang Wanji and Xu Xiaoe probably should share this award with their grandson, Reef. This ain't your grandpa and grandma's clothes. Well, wait, it actually might be. But one thing's for sure, this elderly couple looks absolutely fresh rocking that retro getup. Grandpa and grandma are lighting up the internet with their new swag. Where did they get such stylish clothes, you ask? Well, they're left over from customers that have either forgotten about them or just haven't come to get them. You see, this elderly couple has been running a dry cleaners for the past 60 years in the central Taiwan city of Taichung. Some of the clothes they're wearing in these pictures are nearly 20 years old. The tags on the clothes are ripped and the plastic bags they're in are worn out. But on grandpa and grandma, they look like new. So where did this idea come from? The elderly couple's grandson said that he wanted to give the forgotten garments a new purpose. According to policy, the store will only hold on to clothes for a month. But one can't help but wonder if someone will come back for something two decades later, after grandpa and grandma rocked it so gloriously online. Now, when it comes to dealing with COVID-19, Taiwan has the best record in the world. That's right. And that's why our person of the year in medicine is Health Minister Chen Shizhong. Minister Chen has been tireless in his efforts. He led press conferences every day until the pandemic was contained in mid-April, and his policies have helped Taiwan see a very low death rate in the single digits and help life return to near normal this year. But perhaps most of all, it's his steady hand and his gentle demeanor that have made him a hero here in Taiwan. Health Minister Chen Shizhong is now promoting domestic travel. He says if we're in a good mood, it helps prevent disease. 
Minister Chen is also setting fashion trends. If you look closely at the pattern on his shirt, you'll see black-faced spoonbills from Tainan's Chigu Lagoon. The head of Tainan's Cultural Affairs Bureau, Jason Ye, says the black-faced spoonbill shirts have become very popular. They're sold out. And the straw hat Chen sported? They're sold out, too. Looks like wherever he goes, whatever he does, Taiwan's beloved health minister is making a difference. Everybody loves a winner, especially when it's someone who's been at it for more than 60 years. So it's no surprise that our person of the year in the category of film this year is veteran actress Chen Su-Fang. At this year's Golden Horse Awards, otherwise known as Taiwan's Oscars, Chen Su-Fang walked away with not one, but two acting awards. All the stars were out in force for the Golden Horse Awards this past Saturday in Taipei, and they went without masks at least on the red carpet. With the pandemic largely at bay, Taiwan is one of the few places in the world that large-scale events like this are possible. One of the most memorable parts of the evening was veteran actress Chen Shufang walking away with both the Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress awards. It was the 81-year-old actress's first time walking the red carpet in her six-decade-long career. Chen starred opposite Best Actor winner Mo Ziyi in Dear Tenant, the story of a gay man who struggles to take care of his deceased partner's son. Chen won Best Actress for her role in the family drama Big Little Women, making her the first actress to win both acting awards in the same year. After acting for so many years, she says, it's not fulfilling to take roles unless they're challenging. But if you can do one scene or even one line well, then you're the leading actor. Someone else who won big in 2020 was our person of the year in politics. Taiwan's first female president, Tsai Ing-wen, who was elected for a second term in January. She staved off a fierce challenge from the charismatic mayor of Kaohsiung, Han Guoyu, and went on to win praise from international media for fighting COVID-19 and for standing strong in the face of China. Here's President Tsai Ing-wen at her inauguration in May. President Tsai Ing-wen was sworn in for her second term at the presidential office. In January, she was re-elected with 57 percent of the votes. But inaugural events were scaled down due to the pandemic. There was no banquet for this year's inauguration, and only 200 people attended the address at the Taipei Guest House. Guests included city and county leaders, foreign representatives, cabinet officials, and the National Epidemic Prevention Team. In her inaugural address, President Tsai highlighted Taiwan's world-class capabilities in producing medical supplies and working to develop a vaccine during this pandemic. Tsai thanked the people of Taiwan for working together to fight COVID-19. She said Taiwan's success has fostered a sense of national pride and solidarity that will live on in people's hearts. Taiwan is populated by kind and resilient people, she said. We can always count on our democracy and solidarity to weather difficult times. Now, 2020 has been a tough year for democracy, but Taiwan continues to show the world how it's done. In the category of democracy, we honor the voters and the poll workers of Taiwan. 
have a look at this memorable description of Taiwanese democracy. It was made by a Stanford University political scientist, Karis Templeman, who was in Taipei in January to observe the presidential elections. It strikes me every time I come here to observe an election just how, how good Taiwanese are at elections and how um, it's actually quite powerful to watch the vote counting. Uh, and I have to say, we, I was part of a delegation uh, just watching the votes come out, and some people got really teary, you know, mm. within our own delegation. Uh, with what's going on in Hong Kong and the, mm. you know, the, the refusal to allow them to elect their own leadership, uh, the tumultuous uh, politics we have in the United States, the, um, the troubles with democracy in the Philippines or in Malaysia or Indonesia or Thailand. Um, the, you know, Taiwan does this really well. Uh, so they show each vote to every buddy in the audience and it could be anybody it could be me it could be so a foreigner uh, could go in foreigner could go well. in a reporter could go in members of the campaigns could go in or just mostly it's ordinary Taiwanese who live in the precinct and want to see how their precinct voted and mm, the other thing is the mm. vote they are acting effectively as democratic monitors so holding up each vote means that they can see that nice. the vote has been cast correctly wow. and recorded correctly and occasionally Somebody gets it wrong, and somebody in the audience calls them out on it. <laughs> and there's a kind of argument, you know, you got that wrong. I just, <laughs> right? And then, in classic Taiwanese fashion. And the, that is just really empowering. It's, you know, some old Obasan, like, keeping Taiwan's democracy on track. <laughs> the grannies keeping us on track. <laughs> I, we need that. Taiwan has come up with some creative solutions for battling the pandemic. And that's thanks in large part to our Tech Person of the Year, Digital Minister Audrey Tong. Now, she's also shared some of her methods with other countries. Things like a digital fence to track people in quarantine and an open source platform to show people where to buy masks. But one of her most interesting solutions came in dealing with an internet rumor that said face masks and toilet paper were made from the same material. And the idea of humor over rumor is that uh, two hours at most after each trending rumor, we have to um, push out a social media campaign done by professional comedians uh, that are really funny <laughs> about the same topic. And so on this particular topic, uh, we push out a meme. Uh, the premier, Su Zhen Chang, um, shows his backside wiggling his bottom a little bit. I remember yeah, that. That's so very in cute. very large font, each of us only have one pair of buttocks. And it's a, it's a wordplay because buttocks is a homonym to stockpiling, twin, uh, in Mandarin. Oh, yeah. right. right. So it says that, uh, so stockpiling doesn't help. <laughs> and then with the table that says uh, it's a different materials and so on. And it went very viral, maybe have an R value of five. Uh, oh, yeah. And so people who have laughed about this, as you just did, is literally incapable of feeling outrage mm. about the same thing. And so it's a vaccination against the conspiracy theories. And we eventually found out the people who initially started this conspiracy theory, turns out they were uh, tissue paper resellers. Oh, oh really? That's yeah. not surprising. Yeah, they yeah. were persecuted. Have a, <laughs> <laughs> We now turn to a group of people that's been working overtime this mm. year. Our military people of the year are the Air Force pilots. Now this year, China sent more jets across the median line of the Taiwan Strait than in any other year in recent memory. 
In fact, this video showing the response from Taiwan's Air Force was one of our most watched videos of the year. When the alarm starts ringing, the timer begins. Pilots rush out of the guard room, equipment in hand, and make a beeline for their fighter jets. These F-16s only have six minutes to get off the ground and intercept any threat that might be coming Taiwan's way. Luckily, no one is attacking this time. This is just a defense drill to make sure military capabilities don't slack over the Lunar New Year. Once these aircraft return, they need to be rinsed off to remove any salt that may have stuck onto the plane's fuselage during low-altitude missions over the ocean. Now, kids in Taiwan have jumped through all sorts of hoops to get an education during the pandemic, and they've done it in masks. And that's why our People of the Year in Education is the nation's elementary school students and their teachers. So how has the pandemic changed their world? Well, check out how this school held their graduation underwater. The students of Kunding Elementary School grow up in paradise. Their home lies within Kunding National Park on Taiwan's tropical southern seacoast, and the clear coral seas just beyond are their playground. Each student must learn to snorkel and dive before they graduate. And so, when the school started thinking about where to hold its graduation ceremony in a time of social distancing, the obvious answer was five meters beneath the waves. Normally, the school's principal says, school-sponsored diving classes won't take students out into depths greater than two meters. But with the help of instructors, five meters proved no real difficulty for these experienced kids. In these coastal waters, there are no crowds and no worries about COVID-19, just coral and schools of fish. With waterproof graduation certificates, the students could enjoy a feeling of accomplishment with friends while celebrating the unique place they call home. We've been introducing our Taiwan People of the Year in 2020, and now it's time to unveil our final honoree. It's someone you know very well. Actually, we dedicated 60 seconds of gratitude to our everyday heroes back in April. Let's have a look right now. We need to start by thanking all of the people on the front lines, the brave nurses and doctors taking care of the sick. Thank you to the scientists and the inventors for coming up with cures and solutions, the factory workers boosting production of surgical masks and supplies, the journalists keeping us informed, the servers and chefs feeding our bellies, the artists feeding our souls, even if it means performing online, the people taking our temperature and spraying our hands, the clerks stocking the shelves and dealing with lines at the pharmacy, the taxi drivers, the bus drivers, and the train drivers shelling us from A to B, the delivery people bringing things to us so that we don't have to leave home, the teachers guiding our children through scary times, the migrant workers far from home taking care of our elderly and infirmed, and most of all, thank you. Thank you for washing your hands, for wearing a mask, and for keeping your spirits up even when the coronavirus gets you down. Thank you for reaching out even as you keep your distance because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Now we finally come to the end of our 2020 right. People of the Year of Taiwan list. And the question is, uh, if you could choose one person from that list, who would you choose? Uh, let's start with Leslie. I took a little bit of a liberty here. It was uh, a play on our last one, but I chose the health workers mm. that uh, kept us safe. Everybody knows, who at least everybody who watches the show knows, I like to take a little bit of fun and liberty when I do these words, but I could be snarky at the beginning of next year, 
<laughs> so let's close out the end of the year by thanking the people who are putting their lives at risk every day to keep us safe. That's a great That's one. Right. And I also, um, mm-hmm. my turn? Your turn. Uh, <laughs> um, on that note, I'd like to thank our health minister and the leader of the CECC, Chen uh, Suzong, for his tireless dedication and leadership, tracing every contact, educating the entire public on how to stay safe, and he has kept us safe this year. Thank you very much. Well, uh, we all, I think, have a lot in common. Uh, I chose Minister Chen, too. Really? Yeah. What a hero, man. I mean, he is so steady under pressure. Uh, The first time I really took notice of him was um, at the beginning, after that first flight came back from Wuhan with, you know, evacuating people. And he was up all night long. And he actually broke down in tears at the press conference because the pressure, he's carried that pressure. So this this is a guy who's got the IQ. He's also got the EQ. And he's appeared in GQ as well. That's right. That's right. So we want to thank everyone who has helped get us through this rough year. And we want to thank you for watching. Uh, Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes. If you like our show, subscribe and leave a comment below. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Happy Happy New New Year. Year. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew! I thought we said no more intestines! <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West. Every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International. Radio for refined palates. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Listen! Are you listening? This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. 
Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Happy New Year. I'm Natalie So, and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'd like to start the year by sharing some precious insights and life experience from two of the most fascinating people I had the honor of interviewing this past year. The first is our digital minister, Audrey Tang. She is known for being a tech genius and for using technology to help Taiwan successfully fight COVID-19 and disinformation. But she also has quite a personal story. She quit school when she was in junior high school with the blessing of her teachers because she was way ahead of her peers. But she also experienced bullying. Andrew Ryan asked her a very poignant question. If you were to meet your younger self and mm -hmm. be able to speak directly sure. to the younger mm -hmm. Audrey sure, Tang, sure. what, what would you say mm -hmm. to that child? Sure, I would say there is a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Um, I've also read that you have some um, regimens to keep your mind uh, mentally sharp. I mean, mm. it, it's amazing talking with you and, and, and listening to you talk. Do you have any, um, you know, uh, self-care regimens to keep mm -hmm. yourself calm and, and mentally sharp? Sure. Um, I walk 15 minutes to work and I walk back. Uh, and I think walking um, and not checking my phone while work, uh, walking. <laughs> I heard you don't use a phone. You don't use a smartphone. You don't have one with you today. I, I don't. I, yeah. I really don't. Um, and when, of course, during business hours, uh, I do have a portable 5G device. Um, and anyway, it's an LG V60. Thank you. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a small laptop, like in mm -hmm. cabinet meetings, I can just place it on the table and start typing. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's a kind of mini foldable computer. Mm -hmm. uh, and the point here I'm trying to make is that although I do have uh, smartphones, I leave it uh, in the office. And so when I'm working, um, I keep the phone, but when I'm walking back home or when, or when I'm walking toward the social innovation lab where I work, um, I don't have a phone uh, with me. And when, uh, for example, when I'm out hiking, I have to keep a phone, of course, for emergency contact and things like that. But then I use this um, Nokia flip phone uh, that is a feature phone that doesn't have a touch screen uh, that runs KaiOS, which is Firefox mm. uh, code base. Uh, and um, it's really good because without a touch screen, there's no way that you could get addicted to the phone. <laughs> it, it's only there when you need it. I feel like you're, you're talking directly to me. Have you ever had a smartphone? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just mentioned that I have this foldable that, LG that thing, counts as, yeah, yeah, which is a smartphone because yeah. it's a smartphone with a case that's a dual monitor. But mm -hmm. you can also pick the smartphone out uh, as a phone. But never had to deal, deal with any sort of addiction to a phone or social media or anything like that. that that's exactly right. Because I, uh, for example, I check Twitter too, yeah. but on a dedicated computer which is not connected to the intranet. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, only um, five minutes every half an hour. That's called a Pomodoro method. Do you set an alarm? Uh, I, I set a, a, a internal a internal alarm. Wow. Okay. Like I work for 25 hours. So when it's uh, like 5 to the clock, 
or five to half the oh, clock. Oh, 25 minutes. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And, then, and then those remaining five minutes are the social media time. Okay. It's great how you manage your technology mm -hmm. so well and, and mm -hmm. keep a distance from it. And I also heard that you um, get a full night's sleep. You make mm -hmm. sure that you sleep a certain amount of hours. Is uh, that that's right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, if I'm doing um, my job uh, well and there's no especially difficult problem to solve. Uh, I sleep like seven and a half or eight hours a night. Uh, but if I do have to build common values out of very different positions, uh, then I'll have to work longer. That is to say, sleep longer. So <laughs> I might have to sleep nine hours, like putting extra one hour in <laughs> just to come up with a uh, innovative solution. So you work while you're sleeping. That's how, right. How do you train yourself mm -hmm. to do that? That's really fascinating. Right. Um, so uh, it, it's very easy, actually. I just read the materials immediately before going to sleep. And I read without sounding them in my head and without passing judgments. So it's like a scanner. You just scan it. You in, read it on bulk. a computer or? Mm, it could be paper. Uh -huh. uh, but I also have this iPad, uh, which is technically a touch screen, but only touch it uh, using uh, Apple Pencil. Uh, so again, no uh, like touch screen addiction. Uh, <laughs> and, right. So whether it's an e-book or whether it's a uh, large, real printed paper book, uh, I just flip it immediately before going to bed uh, and then um, say to myself that I will wake up with a solution. Uh, and then I sleep however long it takes. If it's really difficult, I may have to sleep for 10 hours. Uh, that's the longest. <laughs> <laughs> and then wake up with a solution. I, I think I'm going to have to try that tonight. That yeah. sounds yeah. amazing. That's yeah. right. That's so. right. Okay. What, exactly. What, what would the child uh, uh -huh. version of you uh -huh. have thought about the person you are today? Well, I, I think it would be very interesting, right? It's uh, a lot of fun. And uh, when I was a child, uh, I worked uh, with the internet community, uh, specifically the Gutenberg Project, uh, which are uh, scans of those out-of-copyright uh, Creative Commons. Uh, well, at that time, it's not called Creative Commons, but it was in the Commons. Uh, and so people digitized those out of copyright works, and that formed uh, my my build on uh, my uh, young uh, learning. Right. So when I dropped out of junior high school, these are the most immediately accessible material for me to read. Uh, and incidentally, uh, they were all written before the First World War because things written during or after the First World War were still under copyright mm. back then. So my public domain works are very optimistic, <laughs> and, and that shaped my main character. <laughs> right, I, I'm uh, very optimistic about technology, about how uh, democracy could work, and so on, which is a very rare condition nowadays. That's yeah. <laughs> true. Uh, right. And you're still optimistic. Uh, I'm still optimistic. I'm, I'm hopelessly optimistic, mm. uh, because my, my build on, my, my uh, main reading uh, when I was a 14-year, 15-year uh, old uh, is primarily things written before the First That's World wonderful. War. That's wonderful. You're also yeah. very mm. calm. and. and in the face of all the different stresses sure. and interviews, how mm -hmm. do you keep yourself so mm -hmm. calm and collected? And yeah, as I said, I, I'm just enjoying myself during daytime. I <laughs> do my real work, <laughs> stressful work. At uh, night at when night. you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, when I'm sleeping. Yeah, so, so, so that's why I feel so calm and collected, because I'm just mm -hmm. enjoying myself now. That was Audrey Tang, our brilliant digital minister. And next we hear from one of our most famous authors in Taiwan, the founder of Dale Carnegie, Taiwan, John Hay. He has a great piece of advice for relationships. Taiwan Today with Natalie So.
Now, my next guest was named one of the 200 most influential people in Taiwan by Commonwealth Magazine. John Hay is a well-known author, speaker, and the founder of Dale Carnegie, Taiwan. He's written many books about fatherhood, family, leadership, and more. And I interviewed him around Father's Day, so he gave me some advice for children on what they can give to their parents. And I think this goes for any relationship. I would suggest to all the young men or, or who are watching this program that uh, your parents would be most appreciative when you tell them how important role your parents played in your life, mm. either in writing a letter, don't just send a card, just write. You have to write it yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, must be a Handwritten, right? paragraph, mm. not even just the one line, Happy Father's Day, uh, that won't work. <laughs> so either writing a letter or if you are self-confident enough, tell them face to face how much you love them and uh, in what incident or example your parents did which means a lot to you today and without that uh, incident or, or advice you probably wouldn't be what a little bit what you are today don't ever think there are plenty of time because time is you always thought is uh, you have many many time in the future I will do next year and then several years passed you still wouldn't do it because this is out of your comfort zone but it means so much it right? means so much to them I in my class one of the executive doing that and his home is in Pindong. He really flew back and facing his mother over 80 at a farm, an agri it's, it's, it's an agriculture family. He said next week he reported the, the, the process. He said it really wasn't easy. He tried and tried, but still couldn't do it. Finally broke, broke through. He told his mom, Mm. He said, thank you so much. I came back today to tell you how much I appreciate your, your hard working and you are still home, uh, how much you did for us. The mother cried and, and, and keep crying on, on the wall. And he, this gentleman, is, I think he's over 40, 45, hold his mother and sat down on the sofa. He said that few minutes is most is the sweetest and uh, most impressive few minutes in his life. So you're a little little in writing or verbal or just really meant a lot to parents. That's wonderful. Mm. And um, I, I do want to ask you, because uh, you're such a famous and beloved figure in Taiwan. You're known for so many things, for one, being a wonderful TV host, a wonderful manager of Dale Thank Carnegie, you. and a wonderful father, grandfather. Which um, achievement makes you the most proud or gives you the most satisfaction? 
What do you want to be known for? <laughs> I, I, thank you. I really, I'm not that good. If you really want me to pick one, it's being a father. Mm. <laughs> it's much. This is the first time I have to think hard. Either in business, in writing, in being a host, or, or when I giving a talk in a big, big gathering. But a retrospect in last maybe 60 years. <laughs> I'm 80 this year. Being a father and uh, what I have done in the fatherhood is something I can tell myself that, oh, uh, I left something in this world one day when I'm gone. You know, for example, like uh, Michelangelo, he, he's got, he left uh, that Pieta and the St. Peter's yeah. Basilica or, right. or, the or of David for example, or... Yu Guangzhong, he is gone lately. He left so many beautiful poems, essays. But one day when I'm gone, I can say I left the uh, Chinese Teokaniki Chile or, or books, maybe. But the most important thing is I left four good people who are God-fearing and loving, people-loving men and women, four of them. But the four of them become all together. 20 of them. <laughs> so gradually, hope this can spread around. So the, the last, last impression I can, I can get is, uh, you know, sometimes it's not that bad if you think about your last day. As I heard a talk, he said, when doctor, medical doctor told him, you count one, two, three, four, keep counting. When we give you anesthesia, mm -hmm. anesthesia, yeah, anesthesia, then he said no, he wouldn't, he wouldn't come. He would keep calling his children's name. Oh. If for me, I would say Joseph, Clara, Thomas, Gerard. He keep calling their name. Oh. Then when he woke up after the operations, then four of them would be all. Stand oh. by his bed, you know. That would be that's a beautiful way to reflect your whole life. You know, that that is uh, you left something good on earth. That's well-known author and the founder of Dale Carnegie Taiwan, John Hay. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan today. I'm Natalie So. RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Taipei, 1936. In an area of Taipei known for its bookshops, there's a shop that's become more and more unusual over the years a bookshop. As a great number of the local bookshops go, the Hongru Tang Book Company stands out more and more. 
In part, this is because the bookstore has been open since 1936. But this bookstore is also notable in that many of its books are in a foreign language, Japanese. Inside, you'll find many books that other bookstores in Taiwan would shrink away from selling. Specialized Japanese books on different aspects of science and technology, for instance. It's a niche market, to be sure, but the bookshop keeps marching on, even as many local Chinese-language bookshops go under. How has the store made it for more than 80 years? And why does it continue to succeed? Here to share his thoughts is third-generation shopkeeper Huang Chengye. The shop was founded by Mr. Huang's grandfather, Huang Zijun, a man who did not come from a bookselling background. In 1936, when the shop first opened, though, his business did well, in part because of its excellent location. Taiwan had by then been under Japanese colonial rule for just over 40 years, with colonists from Japan and at least a generation of local children educated through the Japanese language. The shop's original location happened to be close to a number of important schools and official headquarters, giving it a ready-made reading public. No catalogs of available books were made in those early years. But Mr. Huang says it's known that the books sold there focused on introducing Taiwan and its culture to Japanese-speaking audiences. During the difficult years of the Pacific War the following decade, it's also known that the shop went into the business of lending out books and magazines for a fee. On the surface, the end of the war in 1945 looks like it should have obliterated the market for Japanese books. Japan turned over Taiwan to the Republic of China government. The Japanese colonists left, and the new government imposed Mandarin Chinese as the new medium of education. The new government also had a thoroughly anti-Japanese attitude, having spent many years in bitter fighting with Japanese forces on the other side of the Taiwan Strait. After the handover, it would be around 20 years before Japanese as a foreign language would be taught at a Taiwanese university again. Mainly, though, there was the fact that Japanese books, or any foreign books, were difficult to come by. The new government was deeply authoritarian and heavily suspicious. It placed Taiwan under martial law, and importing books required permission from multiple government agencies. There was a whole bureaucracy involved. The Taiwan provincial government, the government information office, everyone down to the local police stations would get involved. All of these bureaus and offices had to be satisfied, both when the books were brought into Taiwan and after they were on the shelves, too. Mr. Huang says periodic inspections of bookshops did take place. And yet, at this stage, Japanese was a deeply useful language for Taiwan. It was a language many people could still read, and it was also a language used to write important works, technical manuals and such, that were helpful to Taiwan's economy and industry. Books on thought and ideas were right out, but Japanese dictionaries and books on science were useful and permitted. And so it was that the bookshop carried on. 
Huang's grandfather passed away at a young age, and it was during this period that his father inherited the business. In the 1960s, the store was presented with a great new opportunity, with a re-establishment of Japanese as a foreign language. With Mandarin, now the lingua franca, the handful of universities teaching the language found that they needed teaching materials and had nowhere to get them. The bookshop filled this vacuum, publishing its own materials. This side of publishing, focused on Japanese learning for a Taiwanese audience, has been a hallmark of the bookshop ever since. The bookshop itself has published many books over the years, and a fair number of them are language learning materials. After inheriting the bookshop himself in the 1980s, Mr. Huang too worked on publishing these materials. From 1987 to 2015, his shop produced Staircase Japanese, a regular magazine for Taiwanese language learners that eventually included CDs and full phonetic transcriptions. Preparing all of this for so many years was a lot of work, he says. But in a place where Japanese is perhaps the second most studied foreign language, all of this work proved worthwhile. Who are Mr. Huang's main customers today? With the end of martial law, the old restrictions on importing books are long gone. But who's reading the books these days? One group that continues to be important is the elderly. Though mostly over 85 now, customers who were schooled in Japanese and have known Huang's shop for years continue to come. Mostly, he says, they buy novels and health-related books. Another big part of the customer base is serious students of the Japanese language. These may include those who've studied in Japan and want to go back. In the days of his grandfather, Mr. Huang says, the store saw a mix of Japanese and Taiwanese customers. But these days, it's mostly Taiwanese customers who come in. He says that Japanese expats, for example, prefer to go to Japanese-owned bookstores in Taiwan, even if the prices are higher. It's those who are in the know who come here, he says. And indeed, many of those who do come are looking for something very specialized. For example, the store's focus on science and technology hasn't changed. Other bookstores in Taiwan wouldn't dare sell our books on industry, machinery, or electronics, he says. There are specialized books on martial arts and biology, too. A number of the store's own publications are also niche works and might not have found their way to print anywhere else. Profitability is a big issue for Taiwan's bookstores these days. Mr. Huang estimates that around 40% of them have shut their doors. As habits and demographics change, Mr. Huang's store faces its own share of challenges. Houses these days are smaller, he says, with less room to buy books. And those who do have the space don't buy books. Students photocopy books, and teachers don't need materials like they used to. Lastly, with a fertility rate so low, there are fewer students overall. 
Mr. Huang says that despite all of this, there's a core group of loyal customers that have kept his shop going. They've moved a few times over the years, but each time, the same customers keep coming. Mr. Huang also says that while running a bookshop is not a winning proposition for those looking to strike it rich, there's a bit too much negativity about reports on how bookstores are going. He says he'd like the media to be a bit more encouraging. What does he hope the future will hold for his store? That people will come in and buy books, he laughs. The future of the store is a bit unclear, though. He says he won't be passing the shop on to his own children. He says they've all gone to Japan for work, perhaps appropriate given the family background, but they don't show signs of coming back. Mr. Huang says he's now in his 70s, but he has three generations of family history to uphold. And so, for now, an 81-year-old bookstore in Taipei's old book district continues to go against the grain. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. RTI. Exercise for your mind. Now, when it comes to dealing with COVID-19, Taiwan has the best record in the world. That's right. And that's why our Person of the Year in Medicine is Health Minister Chen Shizhong. Minister Chen has been tireless in his efforts. He led press conferences every day until the pandemic was contained in mid-April, and his policies have helped Taiwan see a very low death rate in the single digits and help life return to near normal this year. But perhaps most of all, it's his steady hand and his gentle demeanor that have made him a hero here in Taiwan. Health Minister Chen Shizhong is now promoting domestic travel. He says if we're in a good mood, it helps prevent disease. Minister Chen is also setting fashion trends. If you look closely at the pattern on his shirt, you'll see black-faced spoonbills from Tainan's Chigu Lagoon. The head of Tainan's Cultural Affairs Bureau, Jason Ye, says the black-faced spoonbill shirts have become very popular. They're sold out. And the straw hat Chen sported? They're sold out, too. Looks like wherever he goes, whatever he does, Taiwan's beloved health minister is making a difference. Everybody loves a winner, especially when it's someone who's been at it for more than 60 years. So it's no surprise that our person of the year in the category of film this year is veteran actress Chen Shufang. At this year's Golden Horse Awards, otherwise known as Taiwan's Oscars, Chen Shufang walked away with not one, but two acting awards. All the stars were out in force for the Golden Horse Awards this past Saturday in Taipei, and they went without masks, at least on the red carpet. With the pandemic largely at bay, Taiwan is one of the few places in the world that large-scale events like this are possible. One of the most memorable parts of the evening was veteran actress Chen Shufang walking away with both the Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress awards. It was the 81-year-old actress's first time walking the red carpet in her six-decade-long career. 
Ten starred opposite Best Actor winner Mo Ziyi in Dear Tenant, the story of a gay man who struggles to take care of his deceased partner's son. Chen won Best Actress for her role in the family drama Big Little Women, making her the first actress to win both acting awards in the same year. After acting for so many years, she says, it's not fulfilling to take roles unless they're challenging. But if you can do one scene or even one line well, then you're the leading actor. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.